Hi guys, I'm Ash Warlack. I'm Callum Vanden. And I'm Lawrence Lee. And welcome to your podcast for kids from the symposium. Delighted to be joined by the boys today. Um, this is quite a brief midweek pod. We're just going to uh, review the Premier League games from the last couple of days, preview the games coming up this weekend and review the FIFA awards ceremony that happened last night for player of the year and coach of the year and the team of the year. Um, but yeah, without further ado, let's just go straight into it. Um, Lawrence, what matches stood out to you from midweek in the Premier League and how are you? How am I? Oh, uh, I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, can, how are you, Ash? How are you? Yeah, no, I'm not bad, not bad. Uh, we don't I mean, usually ask how you are doing. You always ask how we're doing. So no, I'm returning to no, thank you, thank you for asking. I'm I'm doing all right. Pretty happy about pretty happy about midweek. I'm sure we're going on to uh, Liverpool, Tottenham specifically. But um, yeah, one of the later games actually. Let's start with Man United, Sheffield United. Yeah, uh, that's the game uh, I was going to bring up. So. Yeah, let's go for it. How, how did so that happen last night? Uh, Man United came away with a three-two win after actually going behind one-nil, um, as a lot of people expected, perhaps. Um, what did you make of the game, Lawrence? Well, what I made of the game was uh, United coming back from going down really early uh, once again. Obviously, um, a mistake that everyone will point out is Dean Henderson's, like you know, uh, chance in the absence of De Gea to really stamp his authority on the on the United goalkeeping spot and making a mistake within the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheffield go 1-0 ahead but you know it's got to the point where I'm like I'm kind of glad that we concede early because it means that we'll actually put out performance and put out performance we did um, for about 40 minutes we were just irresistible scored three goals um, and I think uh, despite Sheffield's like last goal making the final score 3-2 um, United really dominated the match um, the issue for United is well we're you know, we're five points off top with a, with a game in hand. But honestly, I don't think anybody can say that United are anywhere near title challenges because we, I don't think we put in a 90-minute performance. The table doesn't lie, Lawrence. Well, I mean, the table doesn't lie after 38 games. So we'll see what happens um, in the coming matches. We do have a tough run coming up, uh, playing the likes of Wolves and Villa and Leicester. Um, so we'll see what happens there. But... It is clear that Ole hasn't found the formula yet. As I said before, we have loads of individually brilliant players, uh, but we don't have a team that can string together a performance for a whole match. So I think I, I think you're actually being surprisingly negative here. I, I um, thought Man United, obviously Sheffield United aren't aren't um, particularly good at all. Like they've they've got one point. I think the Derby team with the lowest. Record Premier League points total had more at this stage than that. I think Arjun said that they're on six or something. I haven't verified that. Um, but, you know, United here, um, I, I think relying on individual brilliance is not necessarily a bad thing if you've got the players to deliver it. I think um, United are putting results together. They're, they're scrabbling around and often going behind and, you know, putting through, having to, like, recover in in game in game um but but they actually are managing to do that and that, i think that's quite good and that they're actually you know as I said, the reason why i'm saying table don't, doesn't lie is that the table's reflecting you know how many what your results have been and obviously you can say well united haven't played that many top top teams or whatever else but given how much slander they were given by us and everyone else especially all the ole out stuff from a month ago and slander they were given in the champions league i don't know they're, they're kind of snuck up on everyone in the league um, Callum, how, how, what do you make of United? A bit, a bit of a bizarre situation, perhaps. 
Yeah, I think also, as you said, like this is Sheffield United. They have been pretty bad this season and they did beat them 3-2. Like it's it's not a completely game changing result that we like now looking at them as like serious title contenders because no. they beat Sheffield United three two, um, but like you can't win the season you can't win the league in the first thirteen games but you can lose it, they seem to be yeah. doing all right like, they could sort of out you say they're relying on individual brilliance and like, they like obviously are and that's fine but you have to question if they were playing better as a team, would that would they not need to rely on individual brilliance and would they be doing even better. Mm. I mean, Lawrence, I just direct that to you. Do you think Ole is lacking an overall system and coherence to his game? He's relying too much on players taking things into their own hands, and is that a problem if he is? Well, the, the pattern this season, and it's quite interesting because last season we were known as the the the, the team that would beat other top six teams, top six sides. But this season, it's a bit different. Um, we are we played Man City. Uh, Arsenal, Chelsea and Tottenham in the league and I don't think we've won any of them so far um, and that strikes me as uh, Ole not being able to find a system or a, or a style of play that will work effectively against big teams where individual brilliance doesn't quite work because in these games you know Pogba plays a brilliant pass uh, to find Martial who scores and that's just that's just one bit that came out of nowhere after a terrible twenty minutes. And because because Sheffield, you know, their defense isn't the best, and they will concede. And when Rashford makes a run behind the defense, he doesn't get tracked, and Lindelof does find him and scores. It. I I think I think Ole needs to, as I said before, find a formula that works for ninety minutes instead of just like twenty minute bursts. If you know what I mean. Mm. No, I understand. Fair enough. I mean, um, all I say is United are an interesting watch and let's see how they go, as you say, against quite a tough schedule coming up. She- brief word on Sheffield United before we move on. Um, just seems to be a bit of a disaster. Even their worst attractors at the start of the season who thought they'd be found out um, in terms of they wouldn't be, you know, doing what they did last year, which is challenging for the European spots before lockdown. Didn't think that they'd be at the bottom of the league on one point after 13 games. Um, Callum, what do you make of them? Yeah, it's just bizarre. They've just not looked at it. I don't know. They're not really. They have been having issues with scoring goals, but they obviously scored two here. So it's odd. I think they're just having different issues every week. They're just not good enough, I guess. Mm. Lawrence. Well, I mean, it's really simple in my eyes. Sheffield are a Championship side that overachieved last season, and this season, uh, they've been unlucky with injuries. You know, they've lost Dean Henderson, obviously, who's a big fixture, and they've lost Jack O'Connell to injury, as I said last time. And, uh, you know, it's just really clear that they don't have the quality in their side. Um, yep. Their best technical player, Sander Berg, uh, came out with a pulled hamstring in this game. He'll be a huge miss for them. Um, but in the end, you know, uh, strikers like David McGoldrick and um, who's their other one? Oliver Burke. They're yep. not going to keep you up. Like, um, like that's just not it's just not good enough and I I think for that yeah, reason Chris Wilder's talking about the strikers they relied last year on not conceding goals rather than scoring them um, but their halfback pivoted halfback system whatever you want to call it kind of has just been found out yeah I agree and I, I think that Chris Wilder is not not really to blame here because he's just not working with the requisite talent for this league there's been a lot of questions question marks about whether he should stay in the job I, I honestly don't see who could do better 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't either. I mean, you know, you, you've got to. I don't think. I don't think Allardyce or Pulis could, te- could keep this team team up because you do actually need some base of requisite talent to stay up. Okay, moving on. Um, Wolves managed to beat Chelsea two one after Chelsea um, led. I think through Olivier Giroud. Um, Arjun predicted this would happen and thought that because this would allow Chelsea to go top if they won, they wouldn't do so. And they'd um, inevitably kind of cave. Um, Callum, what do you make of this? And is it indicative of Chelsea perhaps beginning a struggle? They've lost two games on the bounce after going through a brilliant run of form. Um, Werner and Havertz have, you know, are yet to, to take the league by storm. Uh, Werner especially seems to need a lot of chances before doing anything uh, remotely important. Um, what do you make of this Chelsea team and this current run of form? Yeah, I, I think they're just going through a bit of a patch. Like they're they're a young, relatively new team. Like we would expect this to happen. Like I don't think people are expecting them to like fly out of the top of the league and be like and win all of their first ten games or whatever. So they're actually they're doing about as well as you expect if you look at where they are on the table. Two points behind Leicester, I think. Yeah. Like yeah, is is actually not that bad. Um, I think this is like. A result as well that we associate with like the classic Wolves of like the year, season they got promoted, um, their first season back in the Premier League when they were just beating the top teams just like regularly. Mm. Um, and yeah, like I don't think Chelsea played particularly badly. I think Wolves. This is like a match that suits them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they got the result you would kind of expect. I don't think it was an issue with Chelsea bottling it because they could have gone top of the league. I think that's just like a coincidence almost. There. Um, Lawrence, what do you make of Chelsea? I mean, a bit of a conundrum. We always wondered how these signings would gel in. Um, and does this tell you, tell you anything about Wolves as well? They recovered from losing Jota, who seen is a very high-quality player. They've underachieved at parts this season. Um, what do you make of Chelsea? And perhaps even just a word on Wolves as well. Well, I mean, it's two defeats in a row for Frank, so mm. Lampard out? No? Um, no, I mean, honestly, like, Okay, we, we we said to everyone, don't get carried away when, when Chelsea went on this ridiculous run of like not conceding and, and kept keeping on winning. And I think that the fact that they've lost two in a row, we shouldn't get carried away and say that they've lost the magic. Um, Chelsea have been very impressive this season. This defeat against Wolves is something that happens to every team. And um, talking about Wolves, I mean, it's just remarkable what they've done, really. They've lost Diego Jota, as, as you said. They lost their talisman in Raul Jimenez to a fractured skull. and There's no word on when he'll be expected back. And obviously, Adama Traore this season has, has kind of faded from the shining light that he was last season. So who do you have in replacement? You have Pedro Neto and Diego Pudence. Not strikers, but both really delivering the goods for Wolves at the moment. Gian Martinez returned to the side. That's looked really good for them. And as you say, they're they're not too far behind the, the top six. The thing is about this season is that you can you can go on a run of bad form as Wolves undoubtedly did. Mm-hmm. Um, they lost to uh, Liverpool and, and Villa in two mm-hmm. games in a row. But then you get one win, and then you look at the table, and it's like everyone around you is dropping points. You they're still in the hunt. So I think um, you know. Uh, it was a great win for Wolves, um, but it's uh, it's just indicative of this crazy season we're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think Wolves will be on to watch. I mean, uh, my personal view is that 
I thought that Chelsea were doing better than they have been, especially with Vern, Werner and Havertz. Uh, maybe the Bundesliga tax is real, I don't know. I think that's mostly rhetoric. But either way, I'm waiting to see more from Havertz and Werner specifically, um, especially Havertz. I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten a grip more of games, putting through more interesting through balls and cutting open defences like, or running at people, really. He seems to be almost on the periphery sometimes of what's going on. I'm not sure why. Maybe we'll get Arjun on to the next pod to explain maybe tactically why Frank isn't perhaps getting the most out of Havertz, which I find very surprising because Havertz is the kind of player that Frank was in some respects, you know, an attacking midfielder with a lot of technical ability, loves running forward into the opposition box. Um, and I think that, you know, therefore Havertz, Frank would be the perfect guy to kind of enhance Havertz's skills and give him some kind of tips and knowledge, but well, it just seem to be happening. Just a quick word on them, to be honest. Yeah. I, th- I think the issue is that they're just being played out of position. Werner is playing off in left at the left wing position, and I know he's comfortable there. He's played there for Leipzig, but his mm. real position is in the number nine spot, um, mm. where he can do the most damage. And I, I think that he, obviously Chelsea have an abundance of options, right? And mm. Abraham and Giroud are very good options in the centre. But if you want to get the best out of Werner, mm. then you put him there. And with Havertz, you know his best position is in the second striker role. He's not a number eight, which is where he's being deployed right now, I believe, anyway. Um, I think he's been played too deep, to be honest. Um, because Havertz was more of a goal-scoring, um, like, second striker than he was a creative playmaker. Mm. I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like Lampard has so many options that he's trying to fit them all into one squad, which is kind of the issue that we said they might have with these new signings. Mm, fair enough. No, I, I think that's an interesting take. Callum, anything before we move on? Yeah, I think they just have so many forwards, Chelsea, that you expect them. They're like under a lot of burden to score goals all the time because you look at the talent they have. And actually, like they are, it's kind of like they're playing Giroud still. Mm. And you look at it and like Giroud's playing really well. You kind of feel like Giroud has to get in the team. But then do you drop Werner? Do you put him out wide? I think there's just too many like possibilities for mm. Frank to get any like, con- to like both get consistency of players within positions mm. and to like actually create a good solid system yeah that's fair enough um moving on then man city were held to a 1-1 draw at the etihad by west brom team that just sacked slavan bilic after this result lawrence what do you make of the sacking and west brom's performance um they seem to be bringing in sam allardyce what do you make of all this massive debacle because i think a lot of us neutral observers are quite surprised that west brom um sacked bilic after managing to get a draw managing to get a point at the etihad which is no mean feat I think it's just peak, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't think Billich has done a bad job. He did a great job in getting West Brom promoted. A really underrated job. I think it went under the radar given the whole thing about Leeds coming back. Um, and, you know, West Brom, you know, they're not they're not in a Sheffield United position at the moment. They're 19th, but they're, you know, two points out outside the relegation zone. They got a great draw... Um, against against City, as you said, and then he just gets sacked. And I think, um, obviously, the West Brom hierarchy—they they're really like the, it's, it's a real statement saying that they want to stay in the Premier League by bringing in Sam Allardyce. I think it's unfair to, um, you know, sack Village that early after just thirteen games. And I, I've always liked Village ever since yeah. you know the West Ham days, uh, Dimitri Payet and the team, and 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 but you know. I think Bilic comes out of this job with a lot of, you know, good credit. And um, I'm sure we'll get a job in no time somewhere nicer than West Brom. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, Callum, what do you make of this? Because 
West Brom performed well in that game. They seemed to be organised. They were putting away every every chance that that City tend to had. Obviously, they relied a lot on Johnson making some quality saves, but nevertheless, they held out and they seemed to you know be well organised, well drilled. They haven't looked that like that a lot this season, I grant you. Um, but in that match, they did against some fearsome opponents, and it seemed to me then quite bizarre that that um, Billich was suddenly sacked. Yeah, I think they've been a bit Jekyll and Hyde this season. Like they've had some games where they've been like they've looked really good and solid, and they just haven't quite got the points. They've had some games where they've just been like pretty terrible, um, and I think that those terrible games is probably why they've come and weighed against Billich in the end. But yeah. I think when he came in, they gave him two seasons to get promoted. He got promoted first season, mm. and now. He's sat like he's not. He's like pretty low in the table. He's not out of touch. You're not looking at them being like they're definitely going down. No. Um. So it does seem quite harsh, but I th- I assume that they'd made the decision before this match to yeah. get rid of them. Yeah. Um. Because it does seem a bit random to get rid of him after this result. But I don't know. Or they think it's just a complete fluke and it will never happen again. I yeah. Don't know. Nor do I. Um. Then moving on, I mean, I don't know, before we move on, I, I just kind of want to say that, you know, I, I don't know, I think we need to get past this pandemic of people sacking managers so rashly. Obviously, Are you going to use the word pandemic? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, obviously people like have been saying this for a lot of years that uh, in the last 10 years or so, we've not given managers enough time. Um, I think I probably agree with that argument just because the short term and, and monetary requirements of football these days mean like obviously if you don't produce short term performances, then the financial hits mean that you just have to try whatever you can to to change, right? But I don't know, I thought this sacking was kind of unwarranted. And as Lawrence said, I think I agree with him that Billich came off quite well. Um and before we move on, I just do want to have a word on City from you, Lawrence, and, and you, Callum, but Lawrence first, just they seem to be struggling now to break teams down. They're, 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 they're drawing games that they would have won two years ago. They're doing more of what they did last year. Definitely don't seem to be looking on a title run at the moment. Obviously, this squad can turn it around. But what do you make of them after we've remarked on West Brom? Yeah, after the game, Guardiola said, you have to win this kind of game. And the whole footballing world was like, no shit, it's a home match to West Brom. That I mean, the fact that you're not winning is just a disaster. Yeah. Um, you know... So, so here, Guardian has made a lot of questionable choices this year. He's been hampered by injuries, Aguero, obviously, but you know he's stuck with Jesus. Where I think that I don't know, I he has not convinced in his three years in a City's shirt for me. Um, yeah. You know, City obviously created a lot of chances this game, but they didn't score them, which has been the pattern too long this this, this season. And then they concede, uh, you know, a sloppy goal. So yeah. I, I think. Um, the continued absence of Laporte is is a, is a big question mark for me. Like I don't understand why like Ake, Stones, uh, and Diaz are all ahead of him in the pecking order. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty lost for words. The, the loss of David Silva is is obviously big for them, um, but they I mean they have amazing players. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, Pep just seems to be confused when the when he doesn't get the results he needs. Like he just looks there, perplexed, as if, as if he genuinely does not understand why his system did not yield the result that he thought it would. And that just seems quite bizarre to me. When you look at like Liverpool, on the other hand, who, who like play very differently against different teams. Um, Callum, what do you, what do you make of of kind of Man City? Um, yeah. I don't know if they have any solutions to this. I think I think Lawrence kind of alluded to that. I think they're missing. This is the sort of game where you would expect David Silva to create a goal, and obviously they don't have him anymore, and that's a big issue for them. 
and they're just I think they're just creating less good chances and without Aguero they're not putting away the not good chances as easily yeah I think when I watched the last couple of seasons they've always had it in them to miss a load of chances and yeah. they they create like similar number of chances in the, it feels like in the games where they win 5-0 and the games when they draw 1-1 like this one like they had like 26 shots but like they weren't didn't have that many incredible chances and apart mm. from at the end where they had where Johnson made the two very good saves for West Brom yeah they weren't like really getting into the spaces where you would expect them to score no and their players didn't really have with when Aguero is not on the pitch they don't have the dedicated person I'm not the dedicated person they're like guaranteed goal scorer mm. no no I think I 100% agree um then let, let's move on then to Arsenal. They managed to come away with a 1-1 draw. Well, it's sad to say, but the, um, you know Southampton were held by Arsenal at the Emirates to a 1-1 draw. Arsenal went down to 10 men after Gabriel got two yellows um, for two cynical pullback fouls. Um, and uh, Southampton took the lead, but Aubameyang managed to uh, equalise after some quality play by Saka. Um breaking Arsenal's record of like a 700-odd minutes of not scoring from open play, which is pretty mental. Um, Lawrence, what do you make of Arsenal? Is this the start of something or or what? Because to me, I've seen people say, like, oh yeah, this is it, Arteta's getting a grip now, you know, avoided defeat at home, let's go. But I'm just like, well, Southampton dominated that game, even more so after the red card. So I, I, know I don't see that as this as being any much positivity for Arsenal, to be honest. I mean, positivity-wise, this is definitely a point gained rather than two lost for Arsenal. They mm. needed to get this run out of the way. They needed to score. Um, it's becoming a bit of a pattern now that Arteta is coming out after the game saying, one of my players got a red card and it cost us the game. This time it was Gabriel. Last time it was um, Xhaka. The time before that it was Pepe. The time before that it was Aubameyang. The time before that it was David Luiz. Um this is happening over and over again for us. It's becoming a bit of a problem. Now, I know this red card, unlike the others, was not, it wasn't petulance. It was just, you know, your, your typical cynical fouls. Um, but still, it is costing them points, no doubt. Um, Theo Walker had a fantastic game at the Emirates, returning. Um, set up, well, sorry, scored the scored the goal for Southampton. Mm. Um, I think that, I think that with Arsenal, they just need to like not get relegated under Arteta and then sort out next that, season. Really, really? No, it's it's like a half joke. I mean, six or seven teams that are markedly worse. I don't know, like like Fulham, West Brom. Um, the thing about Arsenal is that they're not used to they're not used to the relegation fight. So if they do get sucked down there uh, in this spiral of bad form, then. They won't. Not, I don't think any of the players in their squad will have the experience to, to get out of this, you know, that negative and downward spiral. So the thing about Arsenal, as opposed to a team like Brighton or Fulham, they're not scrappers, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly can't see Arsenal doing any better than that. I mean, well, maybe so like they're just a mid-table side. Yeah. I mean, I they know. seem to have been displaying more of the traits of a mid-table side, if we're honest, for the last three or four years than 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 a just member of the top six. Definitely. I mean, if you look at it, if you if you came down and looked at Arsenal in a vacuum, you knew nothing of their history, knew nothing of of their pedigree, and you looked at their results and and their table position and the players that they've had and and the stats of each player, you'd honestly just say they're a straightforward, like Everton ish. They're a straightforward Premier League mid-table comfortable side. Um, and it's only we see Arsenal potentially differently 
is because of what they did 15 years ago. I don't know if how relevant that well, is. No, we, we see them differently because they have players like Opamian and Lacazette and £72 million Pepe in their side, which other mid-table but, teams but, but, don't but, have. No, but, but Everton have Richarlison, Leicester have spent money. Like They also have, Arsenal also have like Bellerin and Mustafi and like Xhaka commanding their midfield. Like, They've they spent money, but I don't know if, if that like leads to a perception of quality or what. I mean, I mean, Callum, what what, what do you think? I, I think Arsenal are, they have financial reach there. They have a lot of fans, which is why we think they're why we associate them with being at the top of the league, as well as the fact that they've for a long time they were consistently good. Um, I don't really know what's going on now, but I think they're in a nice position where financially they don't it doesn't really make a difference to them where they finish the season as long as they don't get relegated. Um, obviously, they're not qualifying for Europe, um, but they can kind of, yeah, they're not one of those teams that has to finish that needs to, that like gains a lot from finishing twelfth or sixteenth. Yeah, um, I don't think I don't think they'll get relegated. I think I think you look at all the teams that have been relegated, and the teams similar to Arsenal have been relegated because they haven't had a, a striker who's gone and scored enough goals in a run of games. I think you look at Arsenal and they, they will stick the ball in the net a bit. Um, so when they play the bad teams who are around them, they will probably score and they will probably win. Mm. They're just not going to beat... You don't, you don't look at the teams who are in like 10th and above. You don't look at like Wolves and West Ham and think they're going to lose to Arsenal. Yeah, I'd just like to say if that if you are an Arsenal fan and you'd like to stop us chatting shit about about Arsenal, please contact us at the Symposium Podcast One Hundred at gmail.com. Please do that. I genuinely do that, like genuinely, and also just comment on Instagram post because we haven't got enough Arsenal voices. We need some more Arsenal voices on this pod. Like all of my fr- okay, basically this pod, all of the series are made of just my friends, right? And I've got very few friends who are Arsenal fans. I don't know if that says more about me or about what Arsenal fans are like or what. But I haven't got enough friends who are Arsenal fans. So, like, genuinely, get in touch with me on symposium100 at gmail.com. Um, it's in the description of the video. It's on the Spotify. And if you're an Arsenal fan, you want to come on and defend your club, but just explain what's going on at your club. Like, just just let me know, and we'll bring you on. No, pro- no, no problems. And, you know, we'll, we'll listen to you, because we're just really interested to know what it's like to be on that train right now. Um, and... We can watch Arsenal fan TV, but beyond the theatrics, you don't really find much interesting there. So if you have something interesting to say about Arsenal, please do come on. Yeah, we're not um, like other pods, right? Because other <laughs> pods are like, oh, you have to be like a journalist or something to come on. You have to write a book. Now we're just fans who like enjoy yeah. watching football and want to talk to other fans, really. Yeah, that's it. Um, okay, uh, let's go on to Leeds managing to just brief word on on this match. Uh, pretty much mid-table clash. Leeds beat Newcastle five two. Lawrence, just I'll give you a quick word on this before we move on. Um, but Leeds is looking reasonably impressive under BL, so I think they'll be fine this season, staying up. Yeah, there were some question marks because, you know, Leeds, despite looking great, um, weren't picking up points in the past few games. But then this performance kind of just reminds you how they, they do deserve to be in the Premier League. They have such quality. And, and I know Newcastle, I mean, on the it's quite funny, the rare occasion that Newcastle score more than one goal in a game, they concede five. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic performance from, from Leeds, obviously, and they dominated the game. There's no, there's nothing else to say about that. Um, Bielsa, really happy with the, the result. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, OK. Um, Callum, 
Um, Everton managed to beat Leicester 2-0. Pretty convincing display from Everton. We thought the Leicester would be far more challenging than they were. Michael Keane, I think, does is not someone that gets enough praise more generally. But yeah, good result for Everton. Uh, I think they could be challenging for a top four spot genuinely this season, considering how open it is. What do you think? I think definitely at least a Europa League spot. Yeah, I think Everton have looked quite good. Like they've had they've had odd games, like every team does that's challenging to top four at the moment. It seems they've had odd games where they've dropped points they shouldn't have dropped. Um, but they seem in pretty good shape. That's a very good result for them. That brings them right back into it, close up to Le- close up to Leicester. Um, I think it puts them. Where does it put them in the table? Fifth. Yeah. Yeah, it leaves them fifth in the table. Yeah, it does. That's a good position. Ancelotti came out afterwards, said he wants to say his contract runs until twenty twenty four. I think uh, he wants to win some trophies. So I think they're in quite a good place. Unfortunately, as a Liverpool fan. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> Um, Lawrence, anything on Everton, Leicester? I'm surprised Leicester didn't get more out of this game, to be honest, after after some heroics in previous games and the fact that they, I think, actually are probably better than Everton. But this was quite an evenly matched match game. It was quite good. Yeah, I mean, Leicester this season have been, look can look really impressive like they did last weekend um, and then just have aberrations of results and Leicester were just pretty boring. Uh, today, Madison did not have any near of the impact that he did uh, previously. Um, you know, again, it's just the mark of the season where basically any team can be any team, unless you're Sheffield United, which <laughs> can't be anyone. <laughs> okay. Uh, and we delayed the Liverpool match long enough now. Yeah, final, <laughs> this is the final game then to um, review, and that's uh, Liverpool against Spurs, happened uh, on Wednesday night. Um, Liverpool completely dominating the possession of the game, doubled or tripled Spurs in shots, and I think they had 80% possession over the game. I think Curtis Jones made more um, opposition, I made like twice more opposition passes in the Spurs final third than the entire Spurs team made in the Liverpool final third. Yet, you could argue Spurs should have won that game. They had two or three guilted chances when the game was tied at 1-1, two, um, two of them falling to Stevie Bergwijn, one to Harry Kane, a, a header three yards out to take the lead and even then seal the game. Um, Liverpool completely opened at the back on occasion to Hongman Son and Harry Kane on the break, at least three or four times that game. But other than that, Liverpool completely dominating the ball, um, having a lot of shots, but straight down Lloris's throat most of the time. And actually, despite all their possession, won the game with two goals, but quite scrappy. First one was a Mo Salah kind of deflected one that floated into the corner from um, around the penalty spot. And the other one was a Roberto Firmino header, a beautiful header from a corner. Um, in the final minute of the game or, or not something you'd often see from a well-drawn Mourinho side that for the rest of that game had looked very organised and pretty much rebutted anything that, that had been thrown at them um, Callum, what do you make of this from a Liverpool perspective? A very, very important result in terms of the table establishing a three-point lead at the top of the table um, and obviously that that's really good um, but at the same time, you know, it wasn't very comfortable and although it dominated the ball the, the lack of kind of clinical chances was slightly concerning at times but I think overall very very positive what do you think yeah I'd probably agree with that I think it was it was a very good performance um well it was a very good performance like attacking and with the ball I think there were some defensive questions mm-hmm. um in a way that it felt kind of like we were missing Van Dyke, as obviously we always will be when yeah. he's not playing um it was just a couple of times like Tottenham could easily have won the game I think probably Liverpool deserved to win but Tottenham could easily have won on the chances they had. Yeah, no, like, I think I think Reese um, Reese performed really well. Reese Williams performed really well on his kind of Premier League debut. Um, young player playing conference football last year, but coming in and other than missing kind of one header that set through one of the Bergwijn chances, he didn't really put a foot wrong. He had a solid solid display against Fabinho, who himself is not 
is not a is not a centre back, but again performed beautifully. Um, and yeah, I'm just very grateful that, that we kind of we have Fabinho and Curtis Jones. Wow, he's a proper proper talent. He's swagger on the ball. He jumps off your screen. He's wearing number 17, and that is not an accident. Um, that's Steven Gerrard's number before he took the number eight uh, and the captaincy, um, and that's not an accident. Um, Curtis Jones is happy in that shirt. He has the swagger. He's able to pull off the ball. He's able to do beautiful through balls. He dictated that game in large spells. You know, he's he's moved from kind of being not looking out of place to looking comfortable to genuinely standing out. And the fact that this boy is kind of prime is six or seven years away is, is genuinely amazing. Jurgen Klopp remarked that, um, um, Jurgen Klopp remarked that, you know, we'd have to pay like 70 million for him on the open market, but he came from our academy and he's a local boy, which is really good. And, and people like Chris Waddle and others have said that Southgate should be looking at him for the squad as well for England. I'm not sure how much of that is hyperbole, but either way, really solid display. Lawrence, what did you make of this game? Um, well, I mean, I think it's quite surprising that despite how slick Liverpool looked, you know, in possession, obviously Henderson, Curtis Jones pulling the strings, they scored a deflection and a corner, uh, a corner goal. Um, and I think I think Spurs have to take some credit for limiting Liverpool to an extent to pretty half chances, like you could say. Um, and uh, yeah, I agree. Liverpool should have scored. Bergvine was wasteful in this game, no doubt. Uh, the issue the issue for uh, Liverpool is um, is that they need to keep keep winning, I guess, because. The teams around them, Spurs will still be there at the end of the season. I think Chelsea will be there at the end of the season. City will be. Um, so it's not really... Uh, the title races are far from done, despite this, you know, Liverpool winning against Tottenham first v second. Um, so, yeah, a uh, good result for Liverpool. It's the kind of result where, you know, they just pull it out of the bag and, you know, it's the performance of champions and whatever. You know, screw you. <laughs> okay, um, let's move on then. Let's just stick with Liverpool um, and let's now move on to the Premier League previews for this weekend. Liverpool are playing Palace and on the Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Um, Callum, the, I think the last this are playing away at, uh, at Palace um, at Selhurst Park. Um, this Palace have looked pretty good this season. They've had random games where they've scored a heap of goals and other games where they where they've completely struggled to make any chances at all. How do you see Liverpool doing this game? A lot of fixture congestion for both sides. Yeah, I think both sides have played a lot of games, definitely, which will have effect. Benteke is suspended after the red card the weekend, so I think that's a big relief. Although I don't really know whether he was going to... I'm not sure. It's one of those where I feel like with Benteke, obviously he's a former Liverpool player, I don't really want to play against him. But also yeah. I don't feel like he's going to score. Um, so that, that's an odd one. But I think, yeah, it should be a... Relatively comfortable win, but I thought that about Fulham as well, so I'm not counting my chickens. Yeah, Lawrence, I think this game um, could potentially be another Fulham for Liverpool. You know, hard, hard to break down a team that's choosing to sit back, like kind of like City suffered last week at the Etihad against West Brom. But do you think Liverpool kind of overcome that, um, or do you see Palace pulling off an upset here? No, I see this is a comfortable win for Liverpool, to be honest. Okay. Uh, I don't think. I mean, Palace is, as you said, Christian Benteke is missing. He, he's, he's got two and two for, for Palace, which is a remarkable comeback. I mean, he used to play for Liverpool, didn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I, I think Palace, I, I, I think Liverpool have too much quality. He was off in the last game, I think. Yeah, that's why he's suspended for yeah. for this weekend against West Ham. I think, yeah, he scored a diving header and then got sent off. Yeah. Um, but, 
you know, Liverpool, they're just, they're, even with their injury list, they're just, just astonishing right now. So, can't begrudge them a win. No, fair enough. Um, and then, actually looking at um, Man City again, uh, they're, they're playing Southampton, but they're playing away at Southampton at St. Mary's. Um, I think this is um, quite an interesting game because Southampton actually look like a team that could be challenging for the top four. They're in really, really good form and they look about roughly the same standard as City. At least that's where they are in the table as well. So how do you see this game um, panning out, Lawrence? Uh, I think City trying to come back and get a win here after they struggled against um, West Brom. I actually think, paradoxically, even though Southampton are better, City will struggle less and Southampton will try and play more than West Brom did. Um, leaving more spaces naturally for the City players to kind of intricately work in. How do you see this panning out? Do you see Southampton managing to beat City and and kind of putting more pressure on Pep Guardiola? Yeah, the the same fixture last season um, was a 1-0, ended up a 1-0 victory to Southampton thanks to an absolutely brilliant Che Adams chip. I don't know if you remember that. Um, And Southampton defended resolutely for the rest of the game. Um, I kind of see a similar pattern in this game it just depends on whether City can I, I have no doubt that Southampton will get a goal against City, can City um, defend well, uh, sorry attack well enough in 19 minutes and take away the chances that they haven't done recently um, obviously City should win on paper, no doubt uh, it's just that you know that's not how the games have been panning out so far this season for, for City Yeah uh, Callum? This game depends on whether Southampton, whether how Southampton like come out the blocks, whether they try and go at Man City or whether they want to like hold back and um, try and soak it up and counterattack them. Equally, whether Man City attack and let Southampton counterattack them, I think it's going to be actually quite a tactical game. Yeah, do you think do you think City will come away with a win here, or do you think Southampton will will um, defend their kind of home turf? I think probably a draw. Lawrence, you don't think it will be comfortable for either side. Yeah, I think it's just going to be a hard-fought game. Um, I still back a City win, to be honest. Oh, right. Fair enough. Okay, and then more interestingly, actually, we've got um, Southampton's last opponents, Arsenal, playing Everton away at Goodison Park. Um, this is quite a tasty game, just because <laughs> watching Arsenal all the time is quite entertaining because you have no idea what's going to happen. Everton have played well, obviously, as we said, beat a very good Leicester side. So I, I actually see them dispatching Arsenal quite comfortably here. Unless, of course, you've been completely proved wrong and Arsenal have managed to regain some sort of confidence after getting a point against Southampton. Lawrence? Yeah, if Everton want to challenge the top four, they have to put away the smaller sides, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Trolled. Um, yeah, OK. Uh, I think this is actually set up for a prime Arsenal win, to be honest. Uh, I think Everton are actually more flimsy at the back than than perhaps uh, people were actually assuming from them this season. Um, and, yeah... <laughs> We'll see what happens. Um, Arteta looks completely lost right now um, in that job. And he needs to find a way to... Because, I mean, he keeps blaming the players, right? Which is true. The players have let him down. Um, But to an extent, you know, the manager has to take the blame if the players aren't delivering. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, his continued selection of Shaka and Bellerin puzzles me when, you know, Arsenal have a perfectly serviceable right back who can actually take throw-ins in Cedric. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens in, in this game. I wonder if Arteta will mix up his squad, given, given you know, all the troubles that they've had recently. Yeah, um, I think then, um, and then moving on, I, I think before we kind of talk about Tottenham-Leicester, I think it's important to mention that 
Um, if if Arsenal like kind of don't get don't get a win here or don't get even a, if if they lose, I think more importantly, I think then that just piles more pressure on Arteta. I don't think they'll sack him. I, I think they'll stick with him. But it's just more interesting to see the kind of backroom dynamics as Arsenal's results change as well. And it's just always entertaining to watch fan reactions on when Arsenal don't perform well as well. Okay, then Tottenham, as I said, are playing Leicester at um, White Hart Lane or the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, this is not like quite a tasty clash. Tottenham, obviously, second in the league, coming off a defeat from Liverpool, but in the last minute, and they didn't perform too poorly um, against a Leicester side that's been promised a lot this season. But as we said, against Everton, struggled and just random inconsistent displays. I think this is quite a tasty game, Callum. Yeah, I think it should be good. I think um, Tottenham's style of play, where they under Mourinho, where they've sat back a lot. I'm not sure how well it'll work against Leicester, whether Leicester will also sit back. Obviously, Tottenham are at home as well, which means it'll be quite a different game from the game they had against Liverpool. Um, they're both good teams, both with big aspirations for the season. I would expect Tottenham to score enough goals, but it could go... I would I would probably go for a 2-1 win to Tottenham, but it's also set up for Jimmy Vardy, so... I think if Tottenham need to want to challenge for the title and their serious title challenges, or the title challenges, although kind of Mourinho will will dispel any notion of that, um, then they have to win these kind of games, Lawrence. Yeah, do, I love. Do you know what I love about the season? Yeah, is because because like Southampton, Leicester, Everton, West Ham, Wolves, they can all count themselves as European challenges. Yeah. We now have like so many more tasty matches this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obviously, Leicester have been perennial European challenges for the past few years. But, yeah, this will be a great game. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I think Positivity. Is, yeah, positivity. Yeah. yeah. I think this is a good game. I think, um, I think unlike against Liverpool, I think Mourinho Spurs will actually try and play. And therefore, you know, they'll take the game to Leicester. They know Leicester is there to be got at. But I want to see what I want to see how Madison and, and Vardy perform against against the Spurs defence. Obviously, very, very resilient against Liverpool. Um, but Madison, obviously, no slouch, and they've scored some beautiful goals and took apart Man City, for example. So, you know, this is quite a good one. I'll definitely be watching. Um, and um, that's on Sunday, by the way, at 2.15, if anyone's interested. And then, OK, now a very, very, very tasty game that would have been a beauty with fans, but unfortunately, the stadium will be empty, or with just 2,000 people, and that is Man United against Leeds at Old Trafford. The first league game between these two rivals for you know many many by or fifteen years, isn't it? And fifteen sixteen years, and obviously the reverse fixture at Ellen Road. Hopefully there'll be fans at that one. I don't know, but this one, on its own terms, even without fans, is an extremely important game just in the rivalry of these two clubs steeped in history. Um, but but just this is one of those games that just makes you kind of Lawrence, you know, really really disappointed about obviously the absence of fans obviously we all understand what's going on in the world and there are things that are more important than football but you know you can't help feeling just slightly kind of knocked off that that there are no fans to be there to lend an atmosphere to what would be an incredible game on in another season yeah the last time that united and leeds uh, met in the roses derby was a one-all draw in 2004 mm. um when uh, Paul Scholes scored for United and Alan Smith, this before he transferred to United yeah. from Leeds, um, scored for for Leeds. Um, this is absolutely crazy. I mean, it it was the first match that I looked for when the fixture list came out because 
yeah, as you said, the long-awaited return of Leeds to the Premier League. Mm. And, yeah, as you said, just a pity the fans won't be there. I have no doubt that this game is going to be an absolute cracker because if United don't jump out the blocks, you can guarantee, you can bet your left arse cheek that Leeds are going to, like, put United <laughs> under pressure. Um, and, yeah, I think it's it's going to be one of those end-to-end games that that happens in this sort of era of complete, like, physicality and high-tempo uh, pressing that Bielsa has, you know, you could say has inspired in this generation of football, which is mm-hmm. um, which is just a testament to Bielsa as a manager. Um, and I think that, the, uh, as are many of the games um, that we are covering you know, this weekend, it's it's been possible to call it either way. And I think that, yeah, you just have to watch it, guys. You just have to watch it. Mm. I mean, I'm going to be watching Callum, Rose's Derby. We love to see it. I haven't seen one in a long time. I mean, it's kind of before our time, really, the best of this fixture. But hopefully it can be resurrected with Bielsa going for it um, against a very talented Man United team. Yeah, I think it'll be a good game. I'll definitely tune in. Um, it, it, there is a risk that United, if United turn up, they do just they win quite comfortably. But I think that's relatively unlikely, considering um, I think the game, sadly, does have a completely different complexion on it without the fans. Yeah, no, no, it becomes. It seems like a long time ago. It is not like a massively local derby, like a Liverpool Everton or like a North London derby is. I think it's very much a fan created rivalry. Mm. So it might yeah. just Mike. I'm worried it will like let us down almost. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I'm trying to be positive. I mean, it's kind of just also just the, the natural um, Lancashire-Yorkshire rivalry combined with the fact that because Leeds are kind of West Yorkshire, the ge- they're not actually too far away from each other geographically either. And it always was just steeped in history in the sense that in the 70s, you know, Leeds were warming quite well, Man, Man United not, but then, you know, kind of equalising out in the early 90s, Leeds actually won the won the league and, and then Man United won it, I think, the season following. So... It has a lot of kind of, especially fan created. I mean, Steve McLaren used to remark to, I mean, there, there were once, as a story, before you were born, there's a story of Man United driving into Ellen Road once, Alex Ferguson, or, or the, the team bus driving in. And like Steve McLaren was just like to Fergie, he was like, yeah, I was one of those one day and, and once. And Fergie was like, what? And then Steve McLaren is yellow. I was one of those Leeds fans just like shouting at United. And Fergie was just like, you know, get off the bus right now. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just like, there's a quality, quality history to this fixture. I can't wait to watch it. Although it's obviously is a shame, no fans, but let's just hope and pray that the uh, Ellen Road reverse fixture will have fans because that will be a, you, that'll be a mental event. You can see if, if there are fans, if that's one of the first matches back with fans. Man United away at Ellen Road, Bielsa, Ole, you know, Rashford, Pogba, Martial against like against, you know, quite a talented lead side. I think that'll be a really, really tasty fixture. But yeah, a final win match to try and talk about, I think, before we talk about the FIFA awards is Chelsea West Ham. Actually, you know, we may as well talk about West Brom against Villa. Let, why not? Um Sam Allardyce's first game in, in charge first game in charge. What do you make of this, Lawrence? Um well, West Brom are the same squad that they were <laughs> a week ago when when they had a different manager. So I don't see... Okay, Allardyce obviously has this incredible record of never being relegated uh, in the Premier League. He is one of those, you know, <laughs> you call Allardyce when you're in trouble, you know. Um, He's like the police. Who you want to go? One, one. Okay. 
Um, he's not quite a Ghostbuster. Sam Allardyce. But, um, but yeah, he is uh, definitely a man that knows how to keep a, a squad up. But I don't know if he can keep this squad up, I'll be honest. It's a bit shit. They're, obviously, they only had about like £20 million to spend over the summer, and they spent most of it on Carlin Grant, who didn't pull up trees at Huddersfield, and is not pulling up trees in West Brom. Um and I don't see where the quality that they... I don't see any quality that they have. I mean, the last time they, they actually stayed up in a Premier League season, I'm pretty sure it was Salomon Rondon banging in the goals for them. Yeah. No, they don't have him this season. Yeah. Um, they have, Wait, you know... Do you guys, but this is really, really random. Do you guys remember when Peter Odenwiggy took his transfer yeah. into his own hands and drove? <laughs> <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't get the deal and he had to drive back. Yes, I mean... <laughs> Uh, that is the most interesting thing to happen to West Brom in like a hundred years of existing. Because <laughs> I remember and watching that on like Sky Sports News. If you disagree with that, contact <laughs> us at the Symposium Podcast One Hundred at gmail.com. Yes, please. No, I was going to. Do you remember that, Lawrence? Where did he drive to? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Cardiff. I think. I don't know. So Cardiff was Spurs. Uh, I don't know why I just thought of that, but now I can't stop laughing. It was so weird. Oh no, it was QPR. My it was bad. QPR. My bad. <laughs> Just Peter Orden winging. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, let's see. Let's see what Allardyce can do. Um, Callum, I'll bring you in for the final game. Chelsea, West Ham, London derby. Um, Declan Rice nearly actually producing a beauty to to see off West to give West Ham victory in their last game, and also Chelsea on a bit of inconsistency now with a couple of draws on the bounce. You think Chelsea can recover their form here? They are playing at home. If that means anything in this season. Yeah, I think you look. It should be a good game. I think West Ham have looked pretty solid this season under Moyes. They've actually come on quite a lot from where they were when he came back, um, which surprised me. I must say, I think Chelsea have looked on the whole have been pretty good. Like they've had a couple of they've had a blip recently, but they have had difficult teams to play. I mean, West Ham will be another one of those teams, but you would expect at home Chelsea to win there. I think. Mm-hmm. Lawrence. Uh, yeah, West Ham have impressed me, man. Like, I think I said, like, three weeks ago that they were, like, doing really shit. And then now they're eighth in the league. So, I mean, clearly I haven't been following them too closely. Uh, but, yeah, they, they've been really solid. And I actually, I don't know what David Moyes has done at that with at that club because I have never rated him as a manager, not because he just flopped at United because he was hired on the technicality. Um, but, uh... I think, yeah, it should be a good game. should have been out a couple more years. That's all I'm going to say about that. But let's not even get into that. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's let's move on then to our final segment, which is just on the FIFA um, awards. Um, uh, yeah, so Jurgen Klopp won Coach of the Year. I think he was quite surprised. Um, he, I think everyone kind of was expecting Hansi Flick to win that award. Lawrence, Klopp, was Klopp deserving or did Flick kind of deserve to win? He, Flick did win the treble, but um, Klopp won the Premier League. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think, so Liverpool obviously won the title this year after, like, that huge wait, right? Well, and obviously, but won it very convincingly. With, like, the won it very convincingly. But I think the kind of the, the lockdown and the lack of fans when Liverpool did eventually secure the title meant that um, th- that kind of achievement was slightly dampened a bit. And I feel like uh, we didn't really recognise that as an achievement as much as maybe we should have. Also, the, obviously, the fact that Liverpool won it so convincingly. Now, personally, so that is a huge achievement. I can understand why he won the award. Personally, I think Flick should have won it because he won, like, the quintuple with Bayern Munich. Like, he won everything. Yeah. And, obviously, he won the Champions League with them. 
having inherited a squad that was floundering under Niko Kovac, you will remember. So yeah. I think Flick's job at Bayern Munich was more impressive, although Klopp's project over this five years has been, like, absolutely unbelievable. Maybe that's a recognition of that. I mean, he won last year, didn't he, Klopp? Yeah, so, he did, yeah. Second year in a row. Um, Callum, Callum yeah. yeah, I think, I assume, I think I agree that Hans Flick probably should have got it as well. Um, like, Klopp won it last year. That feels pretty, like, two years in a row for, like, compared to what Flick did was actually, like, yeah, it's good, but not incredible. Um, I think I can only assume that it's because he doesn't, they don't want to award both to the same team. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, Lewandowski, as we haven't said yet, but he won the best player. I assume they don't want to give both to Bayern Munich. Yeah. Um, Robert Lewandowski came off with the um, came off with the um, best overall men's player of the year. Um, I think that was very deserved. He, um, I think it was very deserved. He scored, I think, more goals. Began, I think, like fifty-three goals in forty-seven games, something like that. So that's very, very impressive. I don't think there's much arguments there, Lawrence. I think uh, Lewandowski is probably the best player in the world over the last year, year and a half. Um. Yeah. Uh, he scored his like 250th Bundesliga goal, um, and he is literally just a machine. And uh, I think the thing about the Bayern Munich success is that whilst Lewandowski is an absolutely fantastic player, it has really yeah. been a team performance, right? There are so many star players in that team that it's difficult to difficult to pick out like the best of the lot. Yeah. Um, even though Lewandowski scores with the goals, I would argue that players like Goretzka and Kimmich are much more like integral to the you know yep. to their system. Um, but yeah, I think Lewandowski's just yeah he's very much deserving of the award. I'm, I'm confused as to why like Ronaldo and Messi were like second and third again. Yeah, like yeah, over, what the over, fuck like, did they do yeah, this year? Over like over like Mane, De Bruyne, Salah, Mbappe, Thiago. Like honestly, with Liverpool perspective, but for that season alone, I think Thiago should have been second. To be honest, I'm not saying with Liverpool perspective, he's done nothing for Liverpool, right? But but like, you know, he should have been in the top three there. But anyway, um, yeah, best goalkeeper was given to Manuel Neuer over Oblak and Allison in second. Over uh, Allison and Oblak in second and third, respectively. Uh, what do you make of that, Callum? Um, I mean, I didn't want much of Neuer, but he seemed generally like it's one of those where I feel like I don't watch much German football, so as like an outsider, I only really find out if they do something bad and do something wrong. Uh, and there didn't seem to be much of that, so seems like a pretty solid one, but yeah. not my area of expertise, to be honest. Are you, Lawrence? Neuer's just—he's just proof that you don't write off a keeper, right? Because yeah. he had two years where he was awful, and. I mean, over the past two seasons, he's ever since the 2018 World Cup. You know, he he has been in terrible form. He was often at times um, dropped in favour of all all right uh, by Bayern Munich. But now, I don't know. I think I butchered that pronunciation. Anyway, who cares? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think over the past two seasons, he's been absolutely fantastic. He's he's still the sweeper keeper we know and love. Um, the you know the the OG sweeper keeper. Uh, in this modern era, um, but yeah, I think he deserves the award. Yeah, um, I think 
Yeah, but I mean, I think Allison personally is probably the better keeper right now, but I definitely think Neuer had the better season, and I think that's what you win the award for. So I've got no quibbles at all with that award. And then um, Song Hyun Min won the Pushkash Award for his quality goal against Burnley, which we've all seen. I don't think any of us have any complaints there. He ran in the length of the pitch and and slotted it away. Callum, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah very fair good goal. Yeah. Okay, and then finally the team of the year. Um, that I'll read it out to you, and then we can just uh, have a couple of minutes discussion on it. Uh, keeper was Allison, right back Trent, uh, centre backs Ramos and Van Dijk, left back Alfonso Davies from Bayern Munich, midfielders were De Bruyne, uh, Kimmich, Joshua Kimmich, and Thiago, and the forwards were Lewandowski, Messi, and Ronaldo. I think the only weird one that stands out to me there is Sergio Ramos, although I do suppose Real Madrid won the league, so I can't really complain that much, Lawrence. Um, well, I mean, as we've we've said many times in our Champions League sort of um, discussions, you know, Europe is is currently experiencing a dearth of quality centre backs, and uh, Sergio Ramos is obviously the last of a of a no shits given generation, uh, still delivering at the highest level. But yeah, as you say, I mean, Ramos. Uh, whilst in the big games like in Champions League, he often delivers Real. It's 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 like during the like you can just look like an awful centre back during the normal league season sometimes. I don't I feel like this team is a mixture of of um you know golden boys like you know wonder kids and Finish. players that are there on reputation rather than form. I'm looking at you, Messi and Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, good on you, uh, Sergio Ramos, but I don't think you should be there. Well, I mean, why? Are, I mean, Callum, why are Messi and Ronaldo in the team over someone like Sadio Mane? You'd argue has a better season than Ronaldo, certainly. Yeah, I think um, it. I don't think I think it's quite difficult to argue that they should be in there. Um, I assume it's some sort of not publicity thing, but something along those lines where they don't want to alienate people. I think people voted for it as well. So that, I think people voted for it as well, and they naturally just probably would vote for those two. Yeah, well, I think also. Um, yeah, sorry, Callum. Once there's voting going on, I think everyone's like, well, Messi's better than Ronaldo, so I'm just going to vote for Messi because I don't want Ronaldo to get in because <laughs> yeah. I'm a Messi yeah. fan. It yeah, becomes yeah. very heated and like 1v1 rather than a fair competition at least. Lawrence? Yeah, I pretty much agree with that, with what Callum said, yeah. Um, you know, they, they are the GOATs, or, you know, one of the GOATs, so... Uh, uh, whatever. These awards mean nothing anyway. Like, who actually gives a fuck? I, I doubt Kevin De Bruyne is going to, like, you know, <laughs> have a framed picture of him holding the team. I mean, he doesn't. No. Mm-hmm. No, I think... I think... Does this award matter? No. I think the midfield is pretty fair. De Bruyne, Thiago, Kimmich. I don't have much arguments there. I don't think any of us do. But yeah, and I think that's a really nice way to finish the pod on a bit of consensus. Covered a lot there, previewed and reviewed the Premier League games and covered the FIFA awards as well. Thank you so much for listening. Um, see you next time. Spy from me, Lawrence. See you next time. Callum. See you soon. And see you guys. Let's see, uh, see you next time on Symposium in uh, this series or any of our other ones. Uh, speak to you soon. Cheers. Bye.